0: Good morning, is this Dr. Art Reingold? Yes. Sitting in the lush Northern California landscape is Berkeley and more specifically, the School of Public Health, where Dr. Art Reingold is Division Head of Epidemiology and Biostatistics. Before that, he was at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the heart of the scientific response to COVID-19 and to other outbreaks that impact the United States and many other countries. Dr. Reingold is a familiar voice, especially as COVID-19, a virus unknown until recent months, grips the world. He provides clear and evidence-based insights to help us understand our risks and opportunities. On the day we spoke, the numbers of confirmed cases passed the 1,000 mark in the US. I'm James Chow. Welcome to our conversation. Dr. Reingold, I've been speaking to various leaders in science and health and very much wanted to gauge your insights, not only as an infectious disease leader, but also someone living in the U.S. right now. I think I'm calling you in Oakland. Uh, What's the picture like in California as it stands? Uh, Well, I think as is true in much of the
1: U.S. and most of the world, it's evolving day by day. So it's a little hard to, to give a specific answer today that might still be true tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> I think that's the first problem, is that this is not a static situation. Uh, clearly, in the U.S., um, as more people are tested, uh, we are identifying more and more people with COVID-19. Uh, we, we clearly have a, a very sad uh, cluster of cases in the Seattle area uh, with a lot of deaths in a nursing home. Um, we, we certainly have uh, um, clusters of or, or cases identified in the San Francisco Bay area, uh, in the New York uh, uh, suburban area, uh, but, but we now have cases identified in something like 30 or 40 states. So, so, so clearly the virus is in the United States. Uh, the, the, as we test more people, we will find more uh, such, confirm more such infections. And and clearly, uh, you know, uh, at the national level the health and human services, the CDC and NIH, et cetera, are all trying to respond. But in the United States, as I suspect you know, frankly, most of the responsibility uh, and capability for response is at the local and state level. So within California... Our department of public health and our county health departments are struggling to to respond and uh, to try and keep people safe. Uh, in my own instance, the University of California, uh, which is a 10-campus system, a very large system of large universities, um, is, is working hard to you know uh, uh, develop, develop and implement policies to keep safe. It's uh, patients, if they're a patient care uh, hospital and the like, Uh, keep safe its students and faculty and staff, uh, you know, through social distancing and uh, and other maneuvers. But but frankly, the situation changes, you know, it's not
0: hourly, certainly daily. As you say, it is a fast moving virus that seems to have outsmarted a lot of governments. Um, But when you look at the rich experience that you've had in covering infectious diseases and working at USCDC, for example, before your position, at Berkeley. Are you, frankly, surprised by the way that this has now gripped the world and its, and its state of being?
1: I, I wouldn't say I'm totally surprised. Clearly, um, uh, you know, a virus uh, that, that comes out of animals uh, such as this one. Uh, we, we really don't have immunity in the human population, number one. So, Pretty much everyone globally, as far as we know, is susceptible. Uh, Clearly, the virus is capable of making people quite ill, particularly the frail elderly. Um, And and so the fact that it's spreading uh, quickly and spread quite a bit before it was even recognized, I don't think is all that surprising. I have to say, up until recently, I've tried to remain optimistic. (laughs) Efforts would, would, you know, keep things in check. Uh,
0: uh, but, but, I, you know, we'll have to see if that's correct or not. I, I certainly know whether more pessimistic. You talked um, about um, corrections. You talked about how the aging population is more at risk, and certainly the early data supports that very much. I'm personally worried about. The younger people who say that well we're young and healthy and we're going to move on with our lives as we plan to um could they become at risk to older people around them in their own homes in their working environments and could they be at more of a risk than they think they are
1: well so i think the answer to both those questions is yes um you know i i think the evidence is that healthy young people, uh, if, they, if and when they become infected with this virus, will for the most part have a very mild illness and, and recover. It doesn't mean there won't be occasional, even young, healthy people who get very sick and potentially die. We know in China uh, that among the healthcare workers uh, who, who were heavily exposed, uh, some young, healthy healthcare workers uh, got this and died. So uh, being young and healthy is no guarantee <laughs> uh, that you won't get uh, quite ill with this virus. It's a question of, you know, what are the odds? Uh, but, but tragically, if we have enough young people getting infected, uh, the, the likelihood is at least some of them will be quite sick and some of them may die. So, so I do think being um, glib or passe or nonchalant, is probably a mistake, uh, even for young, healthy people. Uh, But but I certainly think that your other point is a very important one, uh, which is that um, as is the case with influenza, um, uh, children among others uh, are the primary transmitters of the virus. older, frailer, uh, more at-risk individuals is certainly there, whether that occurs in the workplace, whether it occurs at home, whether it occurs on visiting grandparents in a a nursing uh, home, uh, obviously depends in part on the activities of those young people, number one, and number two, what mitigation and social distancing and protective measures are put into place and and, and, and well implemented. So, in in theory, we're trying to reduce transmission um, through these various mechanisms. Um, So it's certainly hoped that, you know, we we can prevent some of this transmission from taking place
0: and at least, um, you know, as they say, flatten the curve, if not eliminate the infection. How well do you think the American people can respond to public health measures like social distancing, like good hand hygiene, because we've seen in Italy, for example, that the social distancing has been a challenge for that particular culture where touching and physical contact is the norm.
1: So I think you raise a really important point, which is that, uh, you know, a lot of these changes uh, some can be imposed by organizations such as you know universities deciding not to have in-person in, in educational activities uh, or by sporting, uh, you know, sports teams by either uh, canceling their games or, or not having fans present for their games. So, so some of these things can be done by corporations and governments and, and, and organizations. Uh, where, where individual level cooperation <laughs> is not really the issue because it's being imposed on them. Uh, they're simply, these things are not available anymore. Um, uh, on the other hand, when we ask individuals to do a better job of hand washing or to cover their cough or stay home when they're sick or all these things that we think are important, um, A, it's incumbent on us to do everything possible to make those things easy as easy as possible, Uh, you know, whether it's hand washing stations, whether it's, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, hand sanitizers, uh, you know, uh, things like that, where we can promote these behaviors, increasing paid sick leave, particularly for low-paid workers who typically don't have paid sick leave. So there are some things we can do to facilitate better individual-level behaviors, but once we've done that and educated people, um, it, it's absolutely the case that we then have to rely on people uh, to, to uh, you know, follow these recommendations. And I think you're right; the evidence is in many societies, if not all of them, uh, that's a that's a tough uh, thing to get high levels of compliance on. You, you know, it's not easy to change human behaviors, um, and, and and so whether it's culturally ingrained that people hug and kiss or whether it's other factors getting people to comply is not easy. Um, Obviously, in the case of China, um, if you are, you know, impose draconian uh, um, uh, um, restrictions on people and enforce them through the use of police, military, etc., you can do a better job than simply reminding people, educating people, and asking them to do things. But, but uh, you know, I think most countries are unwilling to take those kind of measures uh, that China did. So I, I think it remains to be seen whether encouragement and education and social, uh, you know, concerns will be enough to change behaviors.
0: When we look ahead to the next days and weeks, the United States has had something of a head start on the rest of the world. If you look at China and South Korea and Italy and Iran, um, we know more about the epidemiology now than we did, say, two months ago. And there seems to be more knowledge and awareness all around. But do you worry that the US could go the way of these countries before it and see a significant Growth, not just in confirmed cases, but in deaths. Well, I, yes, I
1: do uh, worry about that. Um, uh, you know, uh, up until fairly recently, I've tried to remain optimistic, uh, and and sometimes I've had a hard time justifying that when pressed um, about you know about our ability to to mitigate or, or control this problem. Um, and and I have to say, I'm a little more pessimistic this week than I was a couple weeks ago. Um, so, so I do think that, you know, I, I, it's hard to imagine we're not going to see, you know, a fair increase in the number of uh, uh, people identified as having this virus, an increase in the number of very sick people, and then an increase in the number of deaths. Now, how widespread that will be, uh, how bad it will get, uh, you, can, you can certainly project some pretty horrific scenarios, um, and, and I guess I'm just slightly less optimistic now than I was not that long ago. Um, So I I honestly don't know what levels we'll get to in the coming weeks and months. And, you know, we know a vaccine is not coming to our rescue in that time period. Uh, I'm not sure that treatments uh, even with the trials going on in China are are necessarily going to give us terrific answers. And so, um, uh, you know, warmer weather has some hope. Uh, have an impact on transmission of this virus remains to be seen. That we, we certainly hope that's true, but but I don't know if, we can, if that's going to happen. So, and so, so I, I think we certainly, I think pretty much everyone who knows anything about this at the moment expects things to get worse before they get better.
0: I have to ask you uh, about this. I mean, how well prepared do you think, or how resilient do you think the current U.S healthcare system is to withstand an emergency like this, on top of addressing all the other health needs that we all have year in, year out, whether or not there is an outbreak. Uh, and, and do you, how well will they be able to operate under the current conditions? Well, there are a number
1: of aspects of that. First of all, I don't think we all know the United States is the only real wealthy country that doesn't have universal access to healthcare. So we still have a lot of uninsured people who uh, who are at risk of getting this disease, and, and um, you know, so what's the plan for dealing with them is certainly an important question. Uh, but beyond that, um, you know, how many respirators are there, how many ICU beds, what will happen if large numbers of doctors and nurses end up being isolated or quarantined because of exposure? You know, will we have, will we be able to meet the health care needs of the population generally, and will we be able to deal with, a a surge in these cases. Uh, You know, I I think the pessimistic scenario is that that we, you know, if we have a bad enough outbreak, we're not going to have enough hospital beds or intensive care unit beds or respirators or isolation rooms. Um, I I think that remains to be seen. And certainly one of the reasons we, we would like to, quote, flatten the curve is we would preferred that these cases of COVID-19 occur after flu season is over. And, and we're still having a fair bit of circulation of influenza in, in certain parts of the United States. So we don't expect flu to be gone for at least another few weeks. Um, and, and so uh, if we can get past flu season, uh, then there's obviously some additional capacity that can be devoted to these COVID cases. But adding them on top of the flu, uh, certainly, going to be quite variable by region and by that area,
0: uh, you know, how, how quickly or likely it is that the system could be overwhelmed. Professor Reingold, I, I sincerely hope that the optimism that I'm sure you may still have from the last week has uh, proved to continue. And we wish you and everybody in the States very, very good health in the coming weeks, especially.
1: Thank you. Uh, I think the whole world could use some help with this <laughs> some
0: help <laughs> so we'll see Thank you very much Dr. Reingold for all of your time Okay, good luck Thank you The China Current continues its special coverage on the coronavirus outbreak Go to our social media at The China Current and our website for interviews, videos and podcasts I'm James Chow Thank you